Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter. Tonight, I bring to you Nick Kazernis. You may know him from the obvious, the Mulch Men. You may know him from Cage. What I'd like you to know him for now is the new single, Way to Me, featuring Kate Wakefield of Long on Vocals. Peppered throughout this single, we have... Mark Patterson from Sunvolt. Some great production work. A great, quote-unquote, indie noir feel. And a very mournful tone that I can't help but feel is apropos for the coming season. So, like I said, this is part one of a two-parter. Part two will be coming up in the coming days uh, for right now this is the first hour and a half of our discussion just in time for his show tomorrow at the Yellow Cab Tavern in good old Ohio without further ado folks I give to you Nick Kazernis part one on the Book of Very Very Bad Things podcast Hello. Hey. How are you? I'm doing fine. You can hear me okay? Absolutely. Everything awesome. looks and sounds great. Uh, cool. for, the, for the sake of legality, could you state your name and give me permission to record your voice and likeness? No. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm Nick Kazernis, and I'm uh, happy to have you record my voice and likeness. And um, I see the Rocket from the Crypt album back there. Scream, That's Dracula, like Scream, yeah, 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 yeah. We played with his surf band a few years ago. Did you really? Yeah, oh Swami John Reese. Oh, Swam- and, yeah. yeah. Well, then I, I saw them play a few years back on that tour, actually, and uh, a little club in Cincinnati, and they were amazing. And then later we saw, played in a, another small club with Swami John Reese, and that record was amazing, and they were incredible. That was great. Super nice guy, great people. Oh, John's wonderful, and you know, like between. You take Rocket from the Crypt and, you know, everything he'd done with uh, Drive Like Jehu. Yeah, yeah. Such an inventive and imaginative guitar player for a, a, what could be considered a very small subsect of the underground. Yeah. And that album specifically was their only foray into what one would consider the the mainstream because they were on Interscope yeah. Records for that and RFTC, yeah. and that was kind of it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, for the for bands, if you remember that time period, uh, I mean, we had a couple clubs in Cincinnati that used to get, I mean, they would get everybody right. So like you'd see, uh, you know, Manor Astroman there, then you'd see Rocket from the Crypt, then you'd see Unrest, and then you'd see Girls versus Boys. I mean, it was just a, it was a, you know, parade. But I mean, I remember when they, it's like, of course, that was I worked at record stores at the time, of course, you know. So it's like, yeah, it was them making 
a big album but it's like all the gang vocals and the horns and the stuff it's like i i just thought it was fantastic and it's the it's i checked by the way it still sounds good today no it you know absolutely I mean? does yeah. yeah yeah i love and i that like i love stuff like that you know like going back and listening to some of that stuff that we used to um <clears throat> i mean i'm in dayton ohio right so i worked yeah. and i worked in the record stores when you know guided by voices had thrown in the towel and yeah. then someone put out you know a shocker in gloom town and everything went you know exploded and uh so that was the time period i was working right so the um and there was just so much amazing music that was happening at that point you know while while all the music we were listening to i think yeah I, you know i'm not sure but i think maybe um is you know was becoming sort of this like thing unto itself and then well, you know impossible that, things were happening at that point you know like you know like sonic youth being one you know oh my god for years and then they became so big that they were the year they, that punk broke i mean yeah, i was yeah, yeah. Yeah. i was in high school in oh, okay. 1991 yeah. you know like I, okay. i'm gonna i'll be 46 okay. you know that that's my era that's when you know the the zeitgeist was really uh catching my ears although precursor to that i was into the cure my first concert was the clash opening up for the who my dad had taken me so th there was that <laughs> that's awesome that, that whole thing going on but there's something very uh intrinsic to your sound that you know it reminds me of our uh rocket from the crypts and our drive like jehu's and, and <laughs> good reason actually <laughs> yeah, i mean it, it, it's because so I'm I'm a few I'm just a few years older right so I graduated mm -hmm. college in '92 went yeah. straight into record stores but um and, but so like in the late '80s it was like replacements Husker Du I mean of course the, all the punk all the Paul, punk right? Paul Westerberg's but, my but then, like, absolute yeah. hero so yeah I get it <laughs> so it's like it was all those guys and at the tail end of that then you had bands like Sonic Youth starting to come up right and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and then it just took off right so and that was like through my the end of my college years right after that so so that whole wave of music was like i always think of my friends and i always talk about like the replacements and and of course all the like I, I we won't even like the clash the pistols the ramones all that stuff was the like a blueprint but really bands like husker do especially the replacements and a lot of x was a huge one yeah. just saw them a few weeks ago um wow. and uh uh and bands like that the psychedelic furs yes the cure not as much and then going from that to Sonic Youth and the Pixies. Yeah. And that sort of represented that next shift that ended up playing out with all of that, the rise of Guided by Voices, Sonic Youth, Pavement, John Spencer Blues Explosion, all the bands that we could go on and on from there that just was like your early mid-90s, right? So, I mean, now, like, now you, when you said that, it's like, I, I think that music's probably pretty indelible in the stuff I do, no matter what style I play it's just kind of funny how you, you can hear like people will say that to me they'll, they'll hear things like that and go oh yeah and i'm like oh yeah i hadn't thought about that in 20 years <laughs> when, when i listen to your music uh, battle of manti also comes in oh okay in, play, uh, in a very big way because you know you're you're creating these uh you know like as it was put on your website indie noir <laughs> there, there, there is that sort of Twin Peaks, David Lynchian, Angelo Badalamenti esque uh, well, lilt uh, of of a slight darkness bubbling under the surface of what is a, a very mellifluous and almost surf rock oriented 
uh, overtone. Why, thank you, Pierre. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. And, and that, is, uh, that is a pretty good description of whether I, however much I think of it consciously is uh, very much in what I, yeah, I, I go for in terms of sound. I actually have a, a surf uh, instrumental group I've been playing with for years and years and years. And uh, that was a big, you know, sort of blueprint for my, the way I approached guitar, right? So like, no mm -hmm. matter what I play. And so it's worked its way into those recordings, even though I write maybe things that are more traditional based, um, it finds its way in there. Yeah, I, I mean, no matter East what Bay I Ray finds it's it's his way oh, in there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, and he was an early guitar player, you know, like once I was in, you know, uh, what, what we would listen to punk and then hear bands like the Dead Candies, uh, JFA, Agent mm -hmm. Orange, and all of those groups that love to kind of co-op some of the surf music. That for me, as a kid growing up hearing Dwayne Eddy, uh, Johnny Cash, so being into all yeah. of those guitar players back then, and then hearing those guys do it when I was a teenager, then really they they were that was an indelible imprint for sure. But you know, it's just funny. I don't think about like a lot of times I won't think about East Bay, right? But you're it's exactly right. I mean, there's yeah. no absolutely. So so I'm I glad you mentioned that. So <laughs> it's interesting that you know um, that these are hallmarks because there, there's a very rich tradition of surf in the confines of punk and indie rock mm -hmm. that it never goes away it never goes out of style there's always a dick dale uh yeah. devotee mm -hmm. somewhere in the mix yeah be, be it your east bay ray or or whomever swami yeah. john uh or, or even bands like low straight jackets and and then yeah. manor astroman and and you know and a lot of those groups that um we used to play with some of those bands back in you know years ago and um it's just interesting that that tradition is is like alive and it's in the retro space but then also finds its way into indie and alternative and honestly like if we're going to talk about east bay ray right like we could we could draw a line actually probably from Dwayne eddie and, yeah. and there's a few people in there and we'll end up at east bay ray and then we'll go to joey santiago who is absolutely of the pixies like made a massive mm, impression yeah. on me at age 18 actually we played with them in new york city and uh in my punk band you know at cbgb's we played with them and i had no idea i had i didn't really know them when we played with them well, they were just about to become massive yeah and they were it was just so unbelievable also nicest people you know like ever and um that his guitar playing was like and i know it was both of them that were you know creating that but his sound and the way he approached things from then on everything he's ever done right so that was a yeah. huge huge thing for me and then i think if, when you when i started hearing other guitar players in that sort of era we were talking about whether they were more experimental like a thurston moore or more straightforward like well not exactly straightforward like what pavement would do or even what john spencer would do like those guys yeah there's that thread is is i mean we all must have been hearing that stuff in one way or the other in some form so but i'm glad you mentioned it from that perspective because i think sometimes i don't give that enough consideration i tend to think of those go back to the original people and i sometimes forget how much they influenced me got me to actually get the guitar and go you know because people will sometimes like overlook sonny vincent and go mm. back to carl perkins but yeah. there's there's so many steps in between yeah that, that are very very palpable and very important to the lineage of that yeah. style of music yeah. and 
I, I don't know if people are as geeky as I am in, in, re, <laughs> well, in, in regards like, to being historians and, yeah. and appreciators. You know I get I mean? pretty, yeah, I can get pretty geeky about it, but it's like, but you know, it's like it, the other like sort of aspect of that too, because like my dad was a big Elvis fan, big Johnny Cash fan, big Dwayne Eddie fan. Too. He had all the singles. And so when I started getting into punk and you got introduced to X and then there's Billy Zoom playing all this revved up rockabilly stuff like a punk. Yeah. And we just saw him a few weeks ago. It was the first time I ever saw them with Billy Zoom, and he was just amazing, right? This, I mean, he it was just, you could tell how happy he was to be playing, you know? Yeah. And, um, but that is like, we, my friends and I are still like, we, he still makes our heads spin, you know, because there's, there's also like, there's a, there's such joy in his playing too, you know? So kind of going back to the like, um, uh, guys like Link Ray, oh, all these yeah. people, right? It's just like people who, like, no, I, what, you know, no man or Astro Man without Link Ray, period. Right. Oh, yeah. story yeah yeah i mean and that stuff like uh is uh you know to me that that approach to guitar playing and just that that spirit and all that stuff whether it was super raw like link ray or some other some of the other rockabilly guys like a charlie feathers or stuff that was more like really like you know kind of on the hillbilly side you know yeah or whether you get these more like guys who had more like you know like uh like a uh, cliff gallop or you know early rockabilly guys that had more of a jazz background or things like that i just love that whole blend of it and i love how it's made its way and we keep hearing it in different music now so yeah. even when you get people like that kind of and so now i'm gonna pull off from a side you get people like chris isaac right who kind of like would sort of dip into that sort of laid back you know like oh sort of the softer side of gene vincent but that 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 guitar that, that you know he had and all that stuff it's like i find that stuff to also be all in the mix too right so like of some course of the, you know like of i course. hear that and sometimes people will say oh do you listen to that i'm like well actually i think we're all listening to the same stuff from before yeah. and some of it really rocks hard and some of it's really quiet and some of it's really weird you know but that that mix to me is really exciting so yeah but, so well, i'm glad like the way you described that was really cool i, I appreciate that because that we like we I didn't coin indie noir, but we we came across it somewhere, and it was like, well, that's sort of a fit, and so we kind of played with it because yeah. um, it was just kind of, you know, it was just like, well, okay, there's that Americana, but it's like more reverbed out, like my other music, you know, it's uh, you know a little grittier and darker, and 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 so we use that, and uh, I think it kind of fits. It's it's turning out to fit, <laughs> well, especially when you consider like I put a spell on you, okay. <laughs> take it way way back to the beginnings of, of of you know the, that sonic stew and that uh that drunken howl yeah that came yeah. from this particular gentleman and and you like take that blueprint you wouldn't have rocket from the crypt scream dracula scream it would not have occurred right so john the, spencer blues explosion again you know yeah. uh, you know groups like that you know where um or they i mean and that is to me like you know like i guess you know the zeppelin thing is whole different story right yeah but like i think those guys were definitely like paying tribute to the you know to that music because i mean because they were wearing it on their sleeve yeah. uh you know i mean like john spencer and john nyes and those guys it's like to to go back to the screaming jay hawkins you know that stuff and and even 
I mean, Scream Jay Hawkins, Bo Diddley, a lot of those people who had a really raw aspect of it. Little and, Richard, and, even. Little Richard. And then you hear that stuff come through in like a PJ Harvey, even like those are those first couple PJ Harvey records that we just happened to have on the other day where you're just like, oh my God. You know, it's yeah, it's so unhinged. Really amazing. And I find, I, and I think whether music is hard hitting, just like brutal, we're referring to some pretty brutal, like hard hitting stuff, yeah. or it's on the softer side, it's like it still has some of that same thing. Because sometimes, like, I play with guys now who play harder music, and I make them play these like softer, more somber songs. But it's like to me, all that energy is still the same. It's still there. It's just coming out in different ways. It's and no different. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know until, like, I wasn't sure until we actually would play it, and then it comes across, and people resonate with it, and it's like, oh, cool. Okay, great. You know. And then you can play with it a little bit. Maybe it's a little lot. Like I. I for a little while the shows they'd be a little harder some of the shows they've been a little softer a little spacier a little more reverbed you know and it's like you just kind of play with it and see see where it is but yeah it's just funny because you're mentioning this stuff and it's like sometimes i'll get a little too in my nico case world and yeah. i'll forget all about east bay ray right and it's like all legitimate i need to think about that a little bit more because like you know like i just when we talk about that i remember how much enjoyment i got from those records like a shocking level of enjoyment i mean remember we're hearing like this first stuff was would come out and you'd be like oh my gosh it's oh sorry i apologize yeah. the, uh, the thing is on um it's like you can't even believe it's happening that that kind yeah. of thing right like clash level event <laughs> yeah because uh, when you first get that taste i mean because there is something very familiar about it all because it is kind of what we'd grown up on uh our parents were born in the 40s so yeah uh, th th like they'd seen the birth of rock and roll so that that kind of got put in our faces and when when you translate that to something that is uh in the 80s a modernist take which is what punk was a very modernist take on original yeah. rockabilly and rock and roll uh, it, it 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 never loses its power it yeah. just it's a different era with the same rallying cry yeah. and the same four chords and the truth that we were yeah. looking for all along, you know, yep. that's what got us out of the big band era. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's funny because I think when you know, we can say that like eighties and we can say that nineties. And then if we start thinking, okay, two thousands, I think it's it, as you get closer, if you're not completely in it, which I'm just going to say, okay, like, I don't feel completely in it. I'm in, in certain aspects of it, but sometimes it gets a little harder. It takes a little while to notice and appreciate stuff. There's tons of stuff in the past 10 years or so that, and maybe that has to do with raising kids too, but yeah. it's like you just start to miss for a minute. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, what, how did I even did not know about this? Right. You know, because you're not getting the mixtapes or whatever, you know? So, um, but I, I don't know, like I still find, like I'm going to struggle right now if I were to say who is really, you know, like doing that now. Um, but then it is it, it, sure it is because you'll turn around and be like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this, you know, or you, you throw something out or, you know, like uh, um, even bands like like I, I was just thinking about the National, you oh, know, yeah. somber and low key band. And yet we've seen them three times. And it's like those shows are amazing and the energy level is amazing and, and things like that where, you know, it's like sometimes it, it, it comes in forms that you don't always expect it to be. Too, and, the, and someone like the National who are taking a form that never really resonated with me. And I've seen the dead with Jerry Garcia because mm -hmm. I'm a child of hippies. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So I've seen this stuff. Like I, I saw Jerry Garcia a few times before mm-hmm. he died. It never made wow. sense to me until the national happened. And I was an adult and well into my adulthood and well into being a father. When I hear what they had done with that original form and I began to no. appreciate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. To guys. Okay. Now these guys are, they're like really good, but they're also minimalists. Right. So yeah. like they're, they're into the, a, a creating a drone that is like very different than what the dead were doing. The dead were, they were also creating a sort of a drone you know, repetition too, but it's like, yeah, it's really, it, it's interesting, but it also makes me um, feel like, that there's there's always going to be there's always going to be more mm-hmm. it's going to come people are going to keep doing it and it may take a minute to recognize it in some ways because you've seen it all you heard it all at this point in 2023 or you know in 2023 yeah. there'll be no more music you know so but it's like um but it, it will be there'll be all of this stuff and i i see that in our community our music community here you know and i see it you know I, when i go places and and then you're you know it, it's nice to still be surprised by stuff because sometimes, and I do think, I'm sorry, you know, Joey, but like sometimes parenthood can can do that. You know, you can start to yeah. become, you're limited in your your ability to look at stuff. But it's really nice then when you get the chance. My kids are, oh, so like, and this is this is how this goes, is that my daughter just saw, uh, she's 20, she's in Chicago. She's a tattoo artist. Mm-hmm. She is, uh, uh, just saw Julian Baker, Angel Olson, and Sharon Van Etten, right? Oh, and wow. So with, her i wouldn't have gotten you know uh well i did actually uh turn her on to boy genius but yeah but uh, but the others i wouldn't have known as much about if she weren't pointing me to like girl in red girl in red you know and uh and and men we trust men i trust and stuff you know so it's like it's kind of cool that she's feeding back some of that stuff too you know so and it's it's nice to see that come full circle too because uh in the late 80s early 90s my father and i had the same sort of interplay Mm. Where, where I remember, like, I was a massive Chili Peppers fan in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Massive, like, Uplift Mofo Party Plan turned my world on its ear because it did have that, that Sly Stone and Parliament as well yeah. as Fear. And, and like, yeah. the, like <laughs> it was all in the mix. And I remember presenting it to my father, the jazz musician who loves funk. Mm-hmm. Hey, dad, check this out. And he's like, I could, I smell the sly stone on this. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I smell the parliament on this. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. That's this cool. is great. And from there on, like, of course, he didn't love too much of the hardcore aspect when it came down to Black Flag into Sick of It All and, mm-hmm. and Gorilla Biscuits and stuff. He understood the idea of the rebellion behind it, but didn't dig the music. But when it came to the Chili Peppers and Sonic Youth and Fear, he really liked Fear. Uh, and X because his favorite all-time band were the Doors. And yeah, hey, Dad, yeah. Rayman Zarek managed this band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you all of a sudden have the the, the doors open. Yeah. That, well, it's that through line came into yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. That's funny because my, you know, like I said, my dad listened to Elvis. He had all the like the Dion and the pop stuff too. But but he was a huge Elvis fan in the fifties when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and then he loved Dwayne Eddy. How did he get Dwayne Eddy? I have no idea. But that one left it, and that was indelible. Yeah. And then he later was introducing me to that was the borderline between your like Bakersfield, uh, Buck Owens stuff. Yeah. Merle Haggard 
and now we're going over to Waylon and Willie, which he was also into that stuff too, but I wasn't really into that stuff. But but he would play that for me all the time. And then years later, I ended up playing in a rockabilly band that was also playing honky tonk, like Western swing stuff and all of this. And then I have friends who play and, and that do that sort of stuff. But it was like, and then I was in playing surf music for years too, but it was like uh, all of that came from, I mean, I had to go through all my punk and, you know, alternative and all that stuff to get there. But eventually I did. Oddly yeah. enough, it was Link Ray that was the gateway drug for that because I didn't discover him until later. Link Ray is like a gateway a, drug for everybody. Every, yeah, it was shot. It was like, that was a big one where I was like, wait a minute, what is this? How did I never know about this? But, you know, it's like, at that point, stuff was so regional that, like, my dad, he was in Wisconsin. Yeah. He wouldn't have known necessarily about Link Ray. He was mainly uh, East Coast, I guess. But yeah. And a lot of these guys, like Hazel Adkins, Charlie Feathers, I mean, they weren't necessarily, be, they, everything was regional, right? Elvis was an anomaly in that way. And then the yeah. people followed him too. But anyway, it was, it's just really interesting how that stuff all goes and evolves and how we make those connections. And I'm, I'm happy that, you know, with, with my daughter, she grabbed all my records that we've been talking about and went through them all. And then she kind of moved on and made her own decision. And she's a big pop fan and uh Taylor Swift fan. And uh, she just got tickets for Demi Lovato because she's yeah. a pop girl is what yeah. she says, but she's, you know, big into the boy genius. And, you know, she was big into the 21 pilots. So she did the, they did five nights in Columbus, like as a giving back to their fans. And we, basically camped out in Columbus so she could go to like the tiny club that they first played in and then the big arena and stuff. So she's a big music fan. It's kind of, it's cool that, and my wife's also a huge music fan. So she has poured like what well, you were saying you were into the cure. Well, yeah. She was into the cure and the Smiths and all that stuff. And yep. I, of course we all met at Bowie, right? As, we did all meet at Bowie. <laughs> Bowie. Oh, yes. But in, in high school, I didn't listen to a whole lot of that side. Cause I was like, well, if it's not the Ramones, it's crap or whatever, you know? And uh, so, but, um, but then she's influenced a lot. Like she's a big Father John Misty fan, big national fan, big Rufus yeah. fan. And and, uh, and she's introduced me to tons and tons of Destroyer and, you know, like all of these groups. So that's made, made a much more, that's, that's actually had an influence on how I've thought about songwriting too, because my songwriting is, tends to be a little more traditional based because I just like it for some reason. But like all of those groups I mentioned are all had their roots in tradition, but they kind of bucked that as well. Right. Yeah. So, you know, where Rufus is very over the top and jazzy and, sh and, and orchestral almost and Rufus orchestral. Wainwright. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then, and uh, all, and so those of guys have been hearing that has been, um, I just love hearing different things like that and different takes on it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes it can be too easy to stay in your lane. And that's, that's been a big thing for me is like, how do I, know my lane but get out of it is at the same time how what do i need to do to make but that happen the thing is people in our age group musicians like us in our age group mm -hmm. our lane is very very wide well it is it because is because we have t-rex to pull from t-rex <laughs> were my first love mark yeah. Mullen was my first musical love and then i moved into the stones and sabbath okay um, but but t-rex seemed to be like me mach one mm -hmm. that, that was uh measuring stick by which i based all other greatness thereafter and i think that's a phenomenal through line because he had taken so much from yeah. link, link ray to you know uh early pink floyd and made it stompy yeah so yeah. If, if you want to know where kind of like the, the 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 part and parcel like impetus of punk came from 
you got to take Detroit and you got to mm-hmm. take England and you got to take the Stooges and T-Rex and smash them together. And there's the blueprint for right. all of it right. with, with, with the little doors with Jim Morrison, yeah, a, a surprising, a, yeah, a little bit of doors, but a surprising mod doors. And then there's Jonathan Richmond just kind of wandering around in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, lost in the in between with the glitter. Yeah. That, that's just you know, like, that's just a one, like, I don't know. That's a, 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 amazing. Like, I love that though, because it's like a, a lot of people, you know, you can go to the, like London, but of course the Ramones came over and influenced them and that you know, all that stuff. And then the stuff that actually birthed the Ramones was all like David Byrne. And I mean, all of all that whole scene, you know, but then you go back, the backstory is like Detroit, right? Detroit. I mean, I know all that stuff. The White Panthers movement. Like, yeah, there were Black Panthers boosters, the MC5. Right. And, and, you know, you do have Death, which I've, they're, um, Death is almost a divisive band for people because you bring them up and they're like, nah, nobody cared about them, but they fucking did. Right. Because Death had a very big impact on the Stooges, the MC5, and that whole Detroit vibe, even the Amboy Dukes, which uh, let's, Mm, let's face facts, I hate. I hate Ted Nugent. For, yeah, well, yeah, for who he is, yeah. but I love a lot of his early music, especially yeah. the Amboy Dukes. Yeah, and I mean, they, they were did in, some cool pioneering stuff. He got very, it very it's much true. so. Yeah, that gets tough when you have artists who are also like you, Ted Nugent, who I was like, I was never a fan of Ted Nugent because as a kid, you know, like I mean, you had horrible, horrible stuff on the radio, but then every once in a while, a Queen song would punch through. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, uh, uh, then suddenly uh, a Ted Nugent song would punch through. But that was kind of, you know, so like I remember early on hearing Cat Scratch Fever. And I, even then I was like, yeah. I know that's not Amboy Dukes. I mean, obviously, then that led me to go back and hear the Amboy Dukes. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But yeah. at, by that point, Ted Nugent was ruined for me, which is fine. Because, you know, then I'd go to the Kmart or whatever and see the albums. And I was like, Ugh. And, you yeah. know, like, and, and I have to admit, the whole time I was never into Kiss. I just really? never, I missed it. I just missed it. My friends were all in the kiss. That was my that was kind of my shit too. I was yeah, a kiss I mean, kid for yeah, sure. Later, like once they were starting, they had they still had the makeup on, but they had already done their best stuff, right? Yeah. Then they probably I'm well, okay, I'm just gonna admit, like I kind of like ignored them. I had friends who were into them, but then MTV started and they made a couple of videos when they were still in makeup, and I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool, this is pretty fun. But then I went back and listened to it. I'm like, I don't I, we went and saw him on one of the shows, you know, but like it was, yeah. it was really fun. I totally appreciate, you know, when they were, when they were on it, they were on it, but you know, I don't know. There's there. It's just kind of depends on where you come in because like they were New kid, York dolls, Pat Cabaret. That's what they yeah, were. Yeah. 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 And I like the New York dolls, you know, but way more. yeah, way more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little more going on there. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. We made it all the way to the New York dolls. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. Like a motherfucker's right here. Yeah, I mean, you want to know about the heartbreakers, like, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful rock and roll. I mean, you what do don't you, what do you got going on there? So is this is this like just highlights of the collection? Because I see I own like, over five thousand LPs, and okay. this is just like stuff I've been listening to in the past three weeks. That's okay. That, okay. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. That's got oh, that gives me my record store vibes right there. You know, I worked in so. one for over a decade. I managed one for over a decade. Oh, cool, so. cool. Yeah, we just bought a few twelve by twelve frames. Actually, I've got my guided by voices uh, propeller album and Lost Splash and Brainiac's first album. And Lord I have Lord. every Brainiac. I have every Brainiac first pressing. Every one. Uh, cool. Seven yep. to twelve. I was a massive 
Brainiac fan. Still am. I mean, they're yeah. stuff they, still sounds incredible. They are, yeah, still they're Ohio. Good. They are Ohio. They are actually. Yeah, they they, they, they drank a lot of the water. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and it's like it was really neat. To, they put out the um, uh, those uh, touch and go put out those demos and the live recordings and things like that and i think stuff yeah. that people were kind of waiting to hear for a while you know like the odds and ends and the stuff that was a real pain in the butt to get you know because uh, like the i remember when they would did, did the split singles and you know and stuff like that so that was really nice they put that stuff out so it deserved it deserved to be uh you know repressed in in, in perpetuity they, yeah. they need to be available for the next scene that comes up because they are ubiquitous they will always be important once they had made that mark just like uh you know fugazi made their mark just like sonic youth whomever mm -hmm. even nirvana to who were not uh, they were not a big thing for me because i was already a hardcore kid at that point i loved mm -hmm. ssd already so yeah 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 you know I, yep. was kurt cobain brilliant yes of course was it my number one pick? No, because I had already been there. Mm -hmm. They were a great gateway drug. They were a great gateway drug, but I was already in a hardcore band for three years, four years by the time uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. Okay. So, okay. you know, like... Yeah, that's interesting. For me, it's funny because just a few years difference. For me, I was spending a lot of time listening to i was probably like in a big devo hitchcock a lot of stuff and i was kind of away from the straight hitting guitar stuff yeah and i wasn't finding anything at the time that was getting me excited and my friend was like you need to hear nirvana you need to hear soundgarden you need to hear a pearl jam and i and then soundgarden fine pearl jam fine whatever like all that stuff was fine but when he played it wasn't bleach it was never mind mm -hmm. um i was like Oh, wow. And of course, I recognize the production for being what it is. But I was also like, you could instantly hear under the production, what was going on. And then he played bleach. And I was like, Okay, got it. Yeah, I totally got it. Got the yeah. whole thing. Like, and, uh, and it was it was nice, because at the same time, why did they get that contract it was because of Sonic Youth. And I'm like, Oh, I haven't really followed been listening to Sonic Youth. And they were roaring up, you know, because they were yeah. through record labels left and right. And so for me, they were actually kind of a refresher. They were like, Oh, yes. And, and I and I felt and there was so much coming out at that point that i thought oh maybe i'm not really paying attention for whatever reason like i took my eye off the ball so for the but the, yeah. for you you were already like i mean you well, just mentioned like fugazi and a lot of that stuff that was happening too and that stuff of course there's been a lot more time listening into that it was more inspiring but you couldn't i mean like what nirvana had like the support they got right i mean they were doing it all themselves but then obviously sonic youth helped and then yeah. they turned right around and did it because a friend of mine toured with them at the time it was like they turned around and helped all of those bands at the and same they time. helped they helped the melvins who half and of the, nirvana was the melvins yeah and the other half was the pixies yeah you yeah. take the pixies and the melvins and smash them together and you See, get nirvana right and that was the thing because it's like i you know as much as i love the pixies it was cool to hear another band that was being influenced by that and then, of course, everything, every band we could ever mention that happened around that time that we were at the record store, right? So it's like, yeah, I, like things like that to me are, are just, they're really exciting when those things happen. Now, do I listen to that a whole lot now? No, I don't, but I totally appreciate it. And if we put it on right now, we'd be like, yeah, we'd, we both you know? actually, we'd both love it because, in, yeah. all, in all honesty, in utero of, well, of the entire club uh, <laughs> of Nirvana albums is the fucking Nirvana album, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. 
because me too. It, That's what I think too. Yeah, <laughs> they dig so deep. Like number one, they go to Steve Albini, who like Neurosis, like play mm -hmm. like they record with Albini. Neurosis is my be all end all band, um, which is probably in the context of our conversation sounds weird, but I'm no, no, it's all in there. Everything's in there tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're crazy humans apparently, but you know, like that is the album that it it takes it to that other level it it gets that dark it gets that heavy yeah. it also gets that um uh, mccartney yeah in oh, a yeah, really yeah, yeah. real and beautiful way because as much as i love the heavy and the crazy i'm i'm a beatles guy yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. a beatles guy as well so it's you, like, know? you know and uh i that's i teach beatles songs to my all my students i've you know young guitar I know students and Beatles is the stuff we work with and we can apply it. I mean, and they're into white stripes and stuff like that, but, but it's yeah. like, but they can get that. I mean, there's so much to work with in those songs. And, um, and it's still like, we just watched that McCartney thing with Rick Rubin, you know, and the whole time Rick Rubin is just like, can you believe this? Can you believe that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's really great just to like, I mean, I, and not to get like academic about it, but it's like, you can listen to them in a completely passive way and let that wash over you yeah. or you can get academic about it you know and you can same with the beach boys like same with the beach boys yeah yeah absolutely yeah groups like that they just were the guys were just so it just wasn't that they were so good so capable but they had somehow tuned in to what whatever it was that needed to happen and figured out how to put it together and i find that to be like just well we just saw brian wilson a couple of years ago too he's touring with that current group and that was a, yeah. like a, a refresher and appreciating how just incredible that is you know the 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 stuff they're doing and that mccartney series is the same way and i'm really glad he did that i'm glad he's kind of maybe he's acknowledging his own age and you know like i mean people just i knew some people just saw him that just said he was fantastic but he's also like sharing a lot about that because it's such a i mean everyone's so interested in it it just changed everything right oh, so it's yeah. really great to hear him kind of reflecting on that stuff more and kind of opening up and when he and rick rubin were playing with the faders on live and let die and and showing the like the the symbol in penny lane that i never heard you know and stuff like that it's like i find I, i'll geek out about that stuff you know especially but, since they started rockabilly they were a rockabilly yeah. band in germany yeah yeah and i still love those hamburg records that they oh, that have the star Club best records. We used to listen to that all the time. And that was for me, since I only heard some of that stuff as a kid, as like being 14 or whatever and getting the Star Club record, then that introduced me to the stuff I didn't know about. So then I started yeah. collecting all that other stuff. It took years before I actually played it, but it was it, it was a, it was definitely an influence, you know, that kind of playing. So like we talk about like East Bay Ray, but like George Harrison as well. Yeah. you know so and the, I mean, and the meteors i hear the meteors, and the meteors yeah. very heavy in what you do um and <laughs> and right. as i'd said again angelo Badalamenti, uh just whether you're cognizant of it or not is very it figures very heavily in because to me it seems like you were watching twin peaks when i was watching twin peaks <sighs> um well that would be true <laughs> yeah i figured that. i figured that part i mean yeah, come on yeah. that would be true all of that stuff i mean i've been a lynch fan for a while and definitely that, yeah. that vibe with twin peaks was you know like um i mean that definitely like so for me like as much as like we've been talking about, all about, about the rock stuff but like i remember songs like uh like bullwinkle that was in the uh, pulp fiction and the heroin scene right yep. like low-key moody stuff like that that was sort of like 
that sort of stuff was like my theme. That was my my jam. And what's funny is all the groups I've worked with, it's like I'll write stuff and they're always like, okay, we gotta pick the tempo up a little bit, pick the tempo up a little bit. Cause it's yeah. like I'll always go there with that that darker reverbed out moody stuff and even in the stuff i've been doing recently you know um has been it still comes through right and and also oh, with yeah. the people i work with like they sort of get brought into it as well right so so even if i have different people playing stuff like what i'm trying to do is expand the boundaries of of that instead of me playing everything have other people also play it but it still ends up being in that whole stew i guess uh, of that so yeah i appreciate and that but I guess the the influence, like where I'm coming from, must be pretty apparent when I work with people to share these songs, right? Because <laughs> you're sure, like, but like, the first things you mentioned. <laughs> but but I'm I have an ear for music. I'm a musician as well. I remember the obvious. I like oh. I I remember all of that stuff. <laughs> and to me, like it, like the progression makes sense. Okay. I always had an ear toward Ohio. Okay. Ohio, like I'm from Pennsylvania, the Scranton mm -hmm. area. You're not that far away. So oh no, no, I have friends from Scranton. Yeah, that that are in Ohio now. They're from, but they're from Scranton. My friend uh, Sharon from Rulu is uh, from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah she and is. So, and yeah, and so uh, um, and um, I, you know, so I, so I'm familiar with Scranton, not just because of the office, right? Because it, but it's um, giant but, yeah. sand is from here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, giant sand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, but yeah, they're like, I mean, and that band, the obvious was definitely a um, Ramones based, well, yeah. Beatles based, Ramones based, and then replacements based group. Yeah. But there was also kind of school for me as far as like being in a band and how to do that stuff and how I approached it. And sometimes I think I'm not that far off from that right now. It's just not no. three chords. It's four. <laughs> it's, you know. But, but you know. But there's more mood you know, now. There's more mood. There's, there's more, more flourish. Yeah. 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 There's not, I mean, and, and obvious and, and John, it's funny because John Dubuck wrote, we wrote a lot of that, that stuff together, but he's really evolved into being like, um, like this John Prine influenced songwriter. And he just writes amazing stuff. You know, it's really, really great. He has a band called John Dubuck's Guilty Pleasures, yep. which I think is, you know, like, uh, like a great uh, band name in the tradition of like the Nick Lowe and uh, what was the Nick Lowe and his impossible, um, um, yeah, was it was it impossible I, bird? Was impossible cowboy? That, or, or, was, or was it Nick Lowe and his cowboy outfit too that he had? There was anyway, Nick Lowe and his cowboy I'm, outfit. Okay. That, so but I'm, there's another band too, yeah. uh, which I'm was trashing his name. I'm trashing the band names now. Sorry, so because <laughs> um, I think we're all moving towards greater states of Nick Lowe. But um, and we just saw him actually with low straight jackets backing uh, the ultimate backing band for Nick Lowe's music. And yeah. when I saw them, I was like that because then they do a mini set of the surf stuff too and it's like that to me is like perfect with a lot of the stuff we're talking about because there's the punk edge the surf edge the traditional some indie there's like so much stuff going on there with oh, these like amazing does, songs that he wrote he does stuff that sounds like the sonics yeah and and kind of like moves into the dick <clears throat> the dick dale of it all and and really like kind of kind of like hones it all to a very fine edge which is it's refreshing because it it doesn't it doesn't kiss its own ass yeah 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 it stays fresh it stays fresh and it keeps finding new ways and so it keeps moving forward and i find that to be very just incredibly inspiring yeah you know like as a player as a guitar player but also 
like I feel like I've been writing songs and playing in bands forever, as you know, as as we've now made evidence by certain references. <laughs> but I, but but have only really been like trying to like seriously write songs, I suppose, you know, for several years now. And that record I just did was sort of the first major output of that, you know. Yeah. And and then I just keep going from there. But it's like so it's it's gr it's great to hear things like that and that still like kind of inspire and ex excite. I mean, it kind of makes you. I mean, it's tough when you're working on stuff, right? It's tough when you're yeah. playing and you're trying to keep going. Like, you know, I mean, we, we need that inspiration, but sometimes we don't just need it in like a, oh, that's a cool style or a cool song, but just the fact that someone's doing it. Yeah. You know, like to go out, we have a great record store here called Blind Rage now. It's like a punk store that specializes in vinyl and they built a stage, right? And they're having, they had the Toxic Reasons play and oh, they had, and, and they've also got a couple bands of people who are 19 and 20 years old, you know, and that's about the only place in Dayton you can play if you're that age right now. So it's like, that was so, that's inspiring to see, right? It's just yeah. that, that sort of, and that's the whole DIY thing. And, you know, obviously, you know, I've had lots of experience in that space, right? It's oh, like, yeah. And yeah. those bands were, you know, a lot of that's been inspiring since the early punk days all the way through the Discord years that you were talking about. You know, it's like that. And now, really, a lot of the people I work with or, or you know, interact with now, it's like that same spirit. And I find that to be the thing that's really because the thing is is like for some songs i'm i'm i might write like sometimes it's like you, you sometimes you might feel like you've been down the road before right or i've done a couple of surf music with my the mulch men and it's yeah. like okay am i still should i still do that you know but it, then you you kind of hear people whether they're doing that style or a different style that just sort of like it's a spark of life right and it's like a very positive thing it's just like yes and also i would say just you know like in what 2022 you can pretty much do anything now right yeah because like, i mean you're doing the mulchman you do the nikki k stuff yeah, yeah. that you know that it's, it's a, its own being uh be it the, yeah, or, it's, the orchestra or you know <laughs> like and you're playing with people from sunvolt and like, yeah it's well and, and the thing Kate is wakefield from long like there's so much going on you have so many irons in the fire uh you, you know musically that the playing field's vastly open for you right now because there is so much to call from. Yeah, it, it, it's true. And it's like, I mean, and in Dayton, of course, we've got a really rich music community that like has yeah. always reached out to other music communities. And I, I, and that is a big advantage. And that's been like Mark uh, Patterson from Sunvolt yeah. is the guy when I was in high school who taught me how to put a record out and how to tour. Right. And then he moved to Austin for 20 years. Right. And to be a, like play with Billy Joe Shaver and Robert O'Keen and people like that. And yeah. he happened to come back to Dayton to take care of some family stuff. And he was between gigs. He hadn't picked up the, the Sunvolt thing hadn't started yet. It was sort of like, you know, like maybe. Yeah. And so we just started working on these songs I had been writing for a year or so. And he, uh, he helped he was taking all of his experience and applying them to, you know, like helping me arrange the songs, right? And then by the time we were like into the recording process is when he picked up Sunvolt and Sunvolt and he's been, they've been rocking ever since, you know, I've gone to see them with him and he's a, he's a world-class drummer, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, and, and now, you know, I'm, I've been real fortunate to get to start playing with uh, my friend, Jim McPherson, who's been playing with the breeders for a few years. Yeah. So Jim's been working on, you know, newer material, which is the next stuff, the, the, after the distance, right. The stuff now. And so we've been working on stuff together as well. So I've been really lucky to play with, I mean, just, I, 
get to play with these amazing people just like all my life right um it, it, it's a little different now kind of like having like raised kids and you know like i'm in a different position like i don't go on tour you know like trying to work like for me like playing a weekenders or like is pretty exciting but yeah. not on the road right so it's kind of a different thing but it's also given me the freedom to sort of like say well who would i like to work with who could i work with you know and find that people are really into it especially if you can kind of put the thing together like i mean everybody in the dayton and columbus and cincinnati i mean and beyond really again i think dayton kind of has like exudes that vibe right uh, of yeah. collaboration and support right and um and then i i just find i just keep meeting people like that right that you know and then we end up doing work together because it's fun you know so um and then they go off and do other stuff so i've played with a lot of people who've gone on to do other really cool things you know and that's cool too you know so it's just amazing too that it's it's almost incestuous just like my area where like people who were in guided by voices people who were in brainiac this that or the other they all kind of still throw their hats into the ring as far mm -hmm. as the Dayton music scene mm -hmm. i mean you look at l like craig from l no like yeah he's, yeah he's like all of those guys like played with big bands did big mm -hmm. things and they're still anchored to that area and that not musical form because mm -mm. You know, there's not a specific form or sound, right. Dayton sound, that doesn't exist. There's no Akron sound. It's just uh, a, a very fertile melting pot of great musicianship. And, and supportive musicianship is the other thing. Yeah. yeah. Where you can have... Um, you know like it doesn't mean that like a country artist is playing with a hardcore band but we, we a lot of bills are really mixed up but there's mm -hmm. room for everybody and people are i mean we have a lot of great support uh songwriters and a lot of great players and just a lot of good team players as well so you mm -hmm. need a rhythm section i mean i got guys are here to, to do it you know um and even though people go off and do other stuff they're still back in that that orbit and i've i've that's been that's a really cool thing you know so it's like i mean like i mentioned mark back when i was like 15 but it's like when i was 15 16 it's like all those guys would show us how to do stuff right and so we're all sort of like that like if there's people who are trying to figure out like oh how do i get on spotify playlist i'm like i'll show you yeah. you know what i mean and then people do the same thing for me even today they're like oh let me show you how this works let me you know let me show you how um the whatever i don't even know <laughs> it's like yeah all the different tools and stuff work so it's a really cool community like that and and of course now you know like i'm you know the uh, age i'm sure someone will do the math and there's people who are <laughs> younger than me playing and it's the same thing i mean but it just keeps happening and it's not defined by one certain sound. It, ha it sometimes it leans one way or the other. And you have folks like Todd Widener, who are like tremendous songwriters who have now gone out to California, uh, who definitely influenced a lot of musicians here in town. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they all just go their ways or like Craig and Nate, you know, mm -hmm. places, but then they still kind of dial it back here. Um, you know, like, I mean, um, they're not. I mean, I know that they've done like, you know, like reunion gigs and stuff before, but at the same time, they're moving forward with, you know, with Elno and 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 uh, and working with people like Jamie and, and, and stuff like that. So um, that to me is 
I mean, I don't know. It's it's really it's exciting. In the same way that it was like to see like John form Enan and now work with Caribou and now have the vertical scratchers and you know and, yep. and, uh, and it's like all that stuff is is just like it's really cool to see all you know that those things happen and how people evolve and where they go and you know and how the they're doing it. How they're doing it now. The modern garage band is email. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, here's my part. Here's my idea. The zygote of, of an idea. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Flesh your part out. Send it back to me. Yeah. Maybe we're not making noise in the garage together anymore, yeah. but we're still making noise. And I we're think making noise in the garage band. <laughs> yeah, in garage yeah. band. So, so I'll tell you, the record Mark and I made, Mark would come over here. So this is my practice space here. Mm -hmm. And we would work for two. We would like to say, okay, two and a half hours a song. Bang out an arrangement. Come back later. Two hours for the song. We did that for every song on the record. That was sort of like our like focus time, you know? Yeah. And then he would be going back and forth to his parents or then he'd hit the road or he'd come, you know, come back. And we worked on that for a year or so, whatever. And then we went into the studio with everyone who came with us. And then we basically, we gave them our rough demo. Like I just make an air, iPhone demo or throw it on GarageBand pretty live. Yeah. And maybe throw, a, I'd sing a vocal on it or whatever, just to dial it in. And then we would, we would give them, like I'd play parts, but I wouldn't say play my parts. I'd say, here's the, here's the feel I'm going for. And then, you know, a Todd or Crazy Joe, Kate, uh, a Patrick Himes, who runs Real Love Recording Studio, they would all not just, they would just make it their own. Yeah. Uh, and then they would also bring new things to it, like cello and keyboards and things like that. So now over the pandemic, I started writing these next songs, figuring we're going to do the same way, but it never worked out because because it never worked out because you'd get COVID every time you try to go somewhere, right? Yeah. So eventually... We get to the point where we're going to have like we did uh, our demos, just like what you were saying. What we started doing is the demos were all in GarageBand with click tracks and we'd have all the parts and I'd send them around. I'm like, OK, we're going to learn these. And eventually we're like, well, maybe we'll just use this click track because we know the tempos are right. And rehearsed a couple of times with uh, Jim McPherson and Daisy Kaplan from Long and Foxy Shazam. Yeah. And, uh, and then we're like, OK, so uh, we're going to do this. Well, we're not because COVID again. And so what we did is we're like, okay, the garage band is actually going to be the recordings. And Todd Widener and I started sending the recordings back and forth between California and Ohio in February. And, and we, it was basically like a guitar war. It was a duel. Like I'd have all my guitar parts. I'd send it to him and he'd send back all these guitars that would go with it. And then I sent it to um, Tobin Sprout. Uh, and guided by voices and Tobin would play all these weird keyboards and different like synths and stuff and then he'd send it and then I'd send it to Kate in Cincinnati and she'd record all these like I get like seven <laughs> cello parts would come back on it and we suddenly had this big record and finally we were able to go cut in at the end we cut the guitar and I, this is like horrible to say this right we cut the drums and the bass together those guys were together with me and we did them to the click track. And those guys are used to recording with click tracks, right? Yeah. And the song, the demos and the click tracks were based on them in the first place. So they were very comfortable with it. And we knocked out the whole album in a day. And now we're now we're doing vocals in the studio because expensive <laughs> microphones, right? Right. Uh, but it's been this, it was like so far away from the experience I thought I would make. And I, you know, because I thought I would make a very live album next time. But it's been really fun and really re rewarding because i'm also trying to develop as a vocalist yeah so it's given me this huge opportunity to learn to kind of like write craft the songs and learn how to sing them and do all this stuff at, at a cost that is affordable right because it's just the time and energy really you know of doing it so 
we're going to take all the tracks and then they go into the studio and they get mixed and treated and you know whatever but uh and the next album maybe you'll be live in the studio who knows but it's like it was a really good way to work in in a pandemic and i, I know a number of bands that found similar ways to work that were just like how do we get from here to there and i think that a lot of the things of like the technology that was kind of like maybe off-putting before the pandemic isn't anymore because it's like it's like like the next Mulchman album will maybe it'll use a click track because Jim's very comfortable with a click track, but I won't demo the whole thing, but I might do the click track. So we're, we kind of have it dialed in yeah. for efficiency or accuracy or whatever, you know, and I never even recorded the click track before. <laughs> so. Well, no, I mean, most of us are very, we're very attuned to the idea of this, the drummer, uh, kind of going first with the guitarist, right? And, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean, and doing yeah. it that good old fashioned way, yeah. recording in analog, which most of my recording uh, background has to do with reel to reel or cassette. Oh, cool. Yeah, Fostex. Yeah. You know, I had a I had a Fostex eight track that I Me spent too. Yeah. all all yeah. of my my Paperboy money on. Yep. When I was fourteen years old. All right, we're gonna record on this this Fostex eight track, which now people would break their asses to get their hands on but back then they were like you could get yeah, one out of musician's friend for 150 bucks and it was bucks, not a yeah, yeah not yep. a big deal absolutely but that's kind of how we did things like the guitar player would play for the drummer the drummer would lay down those initial yeah. tracks and we followed in suit thereafter it's not that way anymore you don't need to do that it's not even a thought yeah yeah, and it's kind of it's it's interesting because like what what we did when we laid that we kind of learned the songs and then I made demos based on like listening to what that was that sort of gave me the information and then yeah. I brought them back to Jim I was like okay Jim if I have this demo let's play in your basement and he would play along with the song with the headphones and that would be the proof right so we yeah. sort of did this like like intersecting thing and that's why we I really think that's probably cheating i suppose but that's why we were able to record this stuff at the end otherwise i think we might have suffered from having it be very stilted which all yeah. my four track demos were always very stilted you know sure and mine. i never and i don't know like like i mean because four tracks were so fun and the happy accidents were so fun and the craziness was so fun but it's still like i remember hearing some of those uh guided by voices things especially like the vampire and titus chakra and gluten which were pure four track at mm -hmm. that point um and then not even realizing right before that it was almost boombox you know and yeah. um it was actually it was boombox but it was uh but like how they would get the things like how they would create the the ambiance, like you know the sound that they were getting out of that four track, and the ways they would do it, because we all knew the weird things that would come out, you know. But yeah. I always remember just trying to get it right all the time on the four track, and then these guys were instead they were just creating this like whole world, sonic world. And I remember hearing that. I mean, we I played shows with those guys in high school, right? And I used to get their records because they would make they would leave them at Goldenrod or whatever. And, and people weren't aware of them because they, you know, like they just weren't playing anymore. And mm -hmm. then this happened, right? And my wife was that she was working at the record store and she's like, wait a minute, I think we have some boxes of these records in the back, you know, forever since breakfast or whatever. But I remember hearing that and just being in shock at like uh, Vampire and Titus, which is a super dark, moody four yeah. track record. And then, of course, they played these songs and they were like huge anthems when they played it live, which only added to the that sort of thing. I think that's one of those moments as well. 
yeah of like of like hearing that and hearing this dark arty record of anthems recorded down the hall or what what is that in the basement what is that you know yeah there's a cross street and then they played it live in a very just unassuming rock and roll way just like they did when i was in high school you know and uh, i think that's the sort of thing i mean not to mention amazing songs right but yeah. it's like is is what became also very like endearing to people right it's like you've got this guy's writing like amazing songs and it's complete pure just rock and roll there's no frills you know even yeah. when they started elaborating in the recordings it still has that same i mean just like the the two records they put last year i was just like it's a it's amazing to hear that you know um so i don't know like things like that like it's just funny because the like the four like now we're having happy accidents in garage band you know what i mean but yeah. it's also rewarding to get like all those cello tracks and being like oh my gosh it sounds like i've got a, you know like this is um this sounds amazing i can't believe that we're doing it here and that that excitement feels similar to when you got the you figured it out on the four track how to bounce <laughs> that's why i don't i don't bemoan the new generation and the way they do things because as much as it is vastly dissimilar in form it's still the same damn thing really yeah you know i mean of course we had to kind of uh blindly find our way around bouncing tracks and you know like figuring out how to you know make a cassette recording which is analog and does sound inherently good no matter what you do to it because <laughs> happy accidents are still warm, warm and, yeah. and massive they don't go <laughs> no they don't at all there's there's that there's that uh that depth of field yeah that, that that's that's very upfront and apparent with an analog recording there's still room to play in this yeah. digital stratosphere but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think so too. And I think the thing that's nice about that is, um, like, I've only recently learned how to do so. I'm only now learning how to mic something, you know. Yeah. And so we're all going a combination of straight to digital plus the miking and blending it. And then Patrick Himes is kind of guiding this a little bit, saying, "Okay, well, there's certain boundaries because you can hear it." Yeah. you know like at some point you'll hear it you know and so todd like you know uh, all of kate's stuff is just mic'd up cello whereas todd's stuff might be all in the latest and greatest helix electronics or whatever you know yeah. and i don't know what tobin's doing <laughs> but it's a, you know so and then we just and then i had a couple people record some kind of more like ambient sort of sounds too and it's um you know it's just a cool um it's a cool blend of stuff right so yeah i i'm really enjoying that i don't this might be the only time I make a record like that, you know, but it's, um, it's been a cool discovery and the, you know, it was a silver lining in the pandemic, I guess, you know, is to, to do that. And, uh, we did another record as well that isn't out yet, but it's, uh, all acoustic guitar and, um, cello sort of this like, um, ambient ish folkish kind of darker sounding stuff. So and played with my, this is a guitar here that my, my friend Patrick Seisenberger in Dayton builds these acoustic guitars that have sound holes. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I, yeah. I've been admiring that the entire time with <laughs> those F holes were just like drawing yeah. my eye, you know? Um, yeah. uh, I can't imagine how rich the sound is that comes out of an instrument like that. Well, what's, what's really cool is that like, if you can, uh, I'm not sure if it translates, but it does. And then when you hear it here, you've got that sound just like punching right out at you. It's like having a monitor. 
so but he he built he built it knowing that i play both rockabilly and then i also do you know like not super finger picking stuff but stuff that's a little more delicate but he's built i don't know how many like maybe a two dozen guitars and they all have different designs on them but they're all incredibly well made and, it looks uh, like you could even work. you could even play like flat top style oh I, something oh, like that yeah in, in, a, in like like john prime the shit out of something like that yes yes yeah and and and, and that's actually kind of how we got together in the first place because he was playing like like some James Taylor kind of finger picking stuff. And I would play it and I'd be like, boom, check, boom, check, boom, check, boom, check, you know? And mm -hmm. so um, we've been working together for a few years, just trying to kind of, you know, just trying to give them some, uh, some help, you know, with uh, trying to get the word out and, and, uh, and you know, and so, yeah. anyway, so yeah, Patrick Seisenberger has been building guitars here for like many years and uh, does just a really amazing job. So I actually learned how to record digitally um and very mid-fi over the pandemic um got a uh it was like a we did a soundtrack for a university of dayton animated short and so i just kept working on stuff and that was sort of like the way to once i learned that i was like oh i, I want to do this some more so now i don't know maybe the future is a combination of like the way we did four track demos but you can you can take them forward a little bit more you know like i find that kind of thing like like we even did that back in the days of like cage back we we, we had our, yeah. our practice space there's a couple uh songs on that album where we actually recorded like a backing track in the basement and we just took it to the studio and used it as a bed right yeah and that was what that's what i thought i was going to do with this and then it ended up actually being more in parts what why not it's 2022 we can do whatever we want <laughs> sure and uh, as i mean as it sounds good is the way as it turns out if it, and if it doesn't i guess we'll do something else that cage <laughs> stuff was very early 90s if i'm not mistaken yes, right yes, yeah yes and you know you kind of explored a lot of different musical uh frontier <laughs> because <laughs> a like little bit, yeah you take, you take cage you, you, and and then you move in similar circles but still very vastly different sonically um it's kind of like i have it all written down i remember the obvious i remember cage but there's you know like uh what dementia precox mm -hmm. oh yeah the yeah they were uh, and that was like post-industrial synth driven mm -hmm. like very like ambient style uh and you can't really pigeonhole anything you'd done precursor oh. to this because it, you did kind of explore a vast amount of different genre on it's... your way to where you are now, <laughs> which, which yeah. is very similar to my journey because yeah. I, I used to do a lot of like, uh, like industrial noise or cool, just like mayor's bow type stuff mm -hmm. to grind core to like cyber industrial death metal. Cool. Uh, but at the end of the day, I was really looking forward to being more like a, a Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all, it, it was all in there somewhere. We're like, yeah, eventually I'm going to write these songs though. Yeah. Well, and for me, like this whole, like all of these different styles have been like opportunities and wanting to learn and grow and try things. Cause I would hear something. I'd be like, I want to try to figure that out. And it's like, and then, and then, and then I would end up writing and I'd end up working with people either to help me or to, you know, like teach me or to just work on it with me or, or they were just as interested or whatever. And it's just been this, like this path that's been all like this, but now that I've finally gotten to this record, the, 
that, you know, or that record that I, yep. I made. And then the single, which is this even weirder permutation of, of this record yep. is, 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 um, it's like, it's this continual exploration that I don't think is over either because I've got stuff I'm working on now. I think that if I were to say something's like sort of the lane, the wide lane, the super highway lane, yeah. I think I found this space and I, and there's so much I want to explore in this because it brings so many things I've done in, but I still find myself naturally wandering over to the exit and trying <laughs> different things too. So I, I I've yeah. told myself I'm, I'm going to keep working on this because this was a lot of work. It was like a lot more discipline than I had given myself before. And that was something I need, like, because I also like would manage a band and book a band, do that stuff. I would sometimes not give myself like enough time to really, I'm like, what if I really didn't have a band and do anything? I just wrote the songs and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to write the songs. Now what? Oh, I'm not sure if I can play these. I don't think I can sing these. Oh, now what do I do? And then you just, you just next step, next step, next step. So, so that's been really great way for me to sort of get myself to a point where I think you were mentioning earlier, it's like, now I can, I feel like I can have it all and be comfortable. Whereas earlier yeah. I used to feel like, okay, I need to go over here. Oh, now I want to go over here, but these things aren't together. And now after this many years, I can actually take some elements from those different things and I can start putting them into a set. Yeah. Not as easily as, as Bob Pollard could, <laughs> you know, with, with his solo material and experimental material guy by voices, but yeah. I can pick a song here, pick a song there. And, and, and that's, that makes me feel like cool. I kind of found a happy space to, to keep growing in, but also I can still bring in other elements because I'll never lose that reverbed out guitar or that, you know, that yeah. tendency to sort of, you know, meander a little bit. And I also don't think I'm going to give up writing like, you know, sad, somber songs because I've just, since I was a kid and hearing that early country music, yeah. loved it and always gravitated you know like well in our upbringing i mean there's plenty of sad songwriters and stuff i mean that's like you know like all of that stuff um i've just always really enjoyed it you know what's interesting is to write some of that stuff and then you know, have people come back and tell me what they think of it and like so i i would think it's one thing and people would come back and they're like oh this song it reminded me of this and that and this and their experience i'm like and so my my sort of definition of the songs grow a little bit. So from for that reason as well, it's kind of given me this idea like, oh, I really enjoyed this experience of just bearing down and really writing and then seeing what happens. Yeah. And then after I finish that record, I'm like, can I keep doing it? And the answer is apparently yes, yeah. because I've got another record now, yeah. which will be is a year away. But it's like, you know, um, uh, but that is a great, exciting feeling to have that and to still have music ideas right to keep doing sure it. and uh, this record yeah like yeah. you're coming at it from a very towns van zant style of of you know like it's it's thought to hand it's just you know direct uh you of course you're 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 accumulating a, a, a group of individuals to help you realize this idea but still in all it is a songwriter based it's just yeah yeah and it's endeavor yeah you know? and it's and it's interesting because like when i worked with um like the so the so like uh todd widener is like tremendous songwriter mm -hmm. uh you know uh and great singer amazing guitar player uh so he's been involved in these two records as as a, you know as like like i've written the songs and then he's kind of you know, brought in his ass his 
perspective on it into playing it. So Kate Wakefield is a tremendous songwriter, my yeah. favorite singer in the world, and like an incredible cellist. Long and so is incredible, yeah. And, and Lung is my favorite band in the world. Future mm -hmm. of rock and roll um, is Lung. Uh, and, but so she's brought in like her perspective on those songs as well. So it hasn't like, so it's interesting because I haven't co-written with them. I've written the songs, but they've been able to take them and I think take them to the next level. And it was really interesting in both albums, the one we're working on and the one we did, The Distance, is to have Todd play what he hears in my song and then have Kate play what she hears in my song and also respond to Todd or in this new album it's Todd and me playing together in almost like a yeah. television kind of way and then then what happens when you add the cello in there and, and then Patrick has been playing keyboards and and bass um well Daisy's playing bass you know on this record um and so it was it was interesting to bring Jim McPherson in and then Jim did the same thing and started interpreting those songs you know yeah so that's been a really it's been a really cool way to to partner with people and now i have a band now but the band is not the same people because everyone i'm talking about is like is you know touring and has a have their big bands but so i work with another songwriter uh singer and great guitar player kyleen downs from this area and kyleen has been playing um she was playing bass with the group in the trio format and then she plays lead guitar uh so a lot of the lead stuff you hear on that album she plays that stuff and uh so that's it's a, another person who is sort of bringing a perspective on the on the music as well and i find that's like a really healthy way to keep sort of the music moving forward especially as i go from saying like the distance i play those songs live and i sing them you know and now this next album i sing so it's like we're sort of like you know trying to figure out how to bridge the gap and where we go from here and it's like i'm having so much fun but you're not being precious about it which i find refreshing because you're, like you're allowing for there to be a reciprocity in you know the 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 actual writing of the music or the or the presentation yeah. of the music you're not you're not yeah. just being like nope mine you yeah do what i say it doesn't seem to be going down like that there is that idea of a of a band environment of an open environment yeah yeah because it's like i grew up in bands that were like you know democratic but that's harder yeah. when you're in your like you know late 40s early 50s because i had a lot of trouble having a band even my own band i had a lot of trouble running it because of all of the you know like you know responsibilities i have so mm -hmm. to kind of work in this way like i i really love like playing something laying something out and then seeing how todd interprets it you know in fact we did one song where um I, I thought it was not going to make it, you know, and then my Santa Todd and he came up with things I'd never imagined happening that basically kept that song going. We had another song I sent to Kate, again, no instructions. And mm -hmm. it came back and I ended up saying, oh, we're going to, it's like, because of what she recorded, we're going to like take off this whole front. End. Like it rebuilt the song around the yeah. parts she had done. And to me, like, that's, a, that is I love that. That's sort of, that's a similar, that's a 2022 equivalent of when we were all in the basement and we're working on stuff. And it's like, Hey, what did you just play? And yeah. I, and I love that. And I yeah. love the fact that I feel it also keeps me really on my toes with how I play like this. Like, I feel like I learned how to write better songs, you know, and before this, I played in a group with Paige Beller, who's like this amazing, amazing songwriter. And she writes these incredibly like 
you know, dark and sad, uh, powerful songs. And uh, working with her, it was the like, I, I was playing very part time for a while and I played with her and I just had the joy of playing again, was back, of being in a band. And then I thought these songs are so powerful. They actually were really inspiring me to get off my butt yeah. and work. You know, and then, you know, after that, then she comes out with an album that just blows anything I could do away. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like, that's a very, she's a very inspiring songwriter to, to me as well. So to kind of have those different parts is, um, is, it's really exciting. I think it just keeps things moving and it, uh, it has changed how I've written songs. It's also changed, this whole experience has changed how I play guitar. Like I don't play the same way, even though it is the same. I mean, you you hear it, right? It's yeah. I, but it's but it's changed how I approach it and think about it, and it's like, to me, that's like this is the best ever, you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And now I've been playing with Kylene, and she's really changing how I'm playing too. You know, like just being involved in these songs together and working together on stuff. So, um, yeah, that's like I mean, I don't know. To me, that's it's kind of it makes me makes me think that's kind of what it was all about in the first place like i you know yeah. like i can go back to being i don't know how old you are when I, I was 14 when i started playing in bands yeah and, i was about uh, 13 myself yeah. yeah that just that constant excitement of like you didn't even know what you were doing at that point but yeah. whenever it started to click it was like it was just really exciting how great to have that yeah and working on stuff but being better <laughs> Well, especially like taking into consideration when I'd first started playing in bands, it was, it was the second wave of hardcore, you know, mm -hmm. it was the late eighties. Uh, the early eighties was the, the real, you know, uh, renaissance of hardcore punk, mm -hmm. the, the first birth of it with minor threat and you, you know, like SSD, all of those. Yeah. Bands. Right. All the SST stuff. Yeah. I came in on the revelation records era, you know, oh, wow, like okay. 87, 88 okay and and like it was that second era but it was still vital and it was still yeah. Dangerous, oh, yeah. dangerous and secretive and we would play like like uh uh this arcade in the downtown area of the town i grew up in and you know you were just so excited to be there and be a part of something that whenever anyone came to practice with a new idea you celebrated this new idea like yes yes this is what we were missing and then yes next, yes please like bring it bring it bring it that was my idea of of what being in a band was and i think i have a leg up on a lot of these newer younger people because they're kind of coming to it from a, a not a selfish perspective but an insular perspective where you know this is my baby mm. I've, I've been playing this at home and working on this at home and you're not playing what's in my head so maybe you know the idea of 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 you having as much of a say as i do doesn't make a whole lot of yeah. sense to me i yeah. mean i i could be completely off the mark because i'm not i'm not in my 20s and 30s so right. i don't know how these folks think yeah I, I can tell you from a guy in his late 40s that my experience in a band was taking all comers and trying democratic. to integrate it yeah democratically democratically yeah. it's interesting because i think as we learn things and go along we start figuring out how we do things and then pretty soon we have to maybe we start putting up some borders or setting some expectations and maybe mm -hmm. some of that's okay i think it's kind of tough when you start that way and i do know a few folks in this area where they've been working on stuff on their own 
and they haven't gotten out to play with people. And that's a, that's a, and so my hope is that they sort of maybe get over that hurdle. If they don't have that feeling, if they have that concern that you have, you express, right. That, mm-hmm. that they learn through that experience for us, I guess maybe we just didn't know better, mm-hmm. but like for my guitar students, they range from 12 to 14. I teach guitar fundamentals. And so yeah. like, I, I want you to learn how to learn a song, how to write a song if you want, how to enjoy it and then also sort of set the stage so that if you want to work with others you're sort of ready to collaborate and then my friend kyleen kyleen downs actually runs one of those like rock camps for teenagers in dayton and she and there are all these kids who have doing i mean what you were saying but they don't have people so she brings them together and yeah. some of and the first thing they do is they learn some cover songs, but they also learn how to be on stage together, how to do the whole show, and then they put on a show, and then some of them go off and they become their own bands in some way, shape, or form. And so I think that's a really like healthy way to kind of help people along. Like I didn't have that issue when I was younger, and I was in a real community of bands that ha- that didn't have that had those issues too. But I have run into that, and over time, as you sort of become more on your own. Like, I guess, <laughs> so one of the things I like, I started recording a lot of stuff on my own and maybe I was developing that mentality. And then when I listened to it, I was like, it sounds flat. Like, why does it sound flat? Because yeah. it's missing, it's missing these things. So what have I learned? I've learned I'm really pretty good at communicating my ideas, but what happens if I actually turn them over? And that was, I, I will say for a minute like I, that was a little scary to do because sure. i had started drifting back but then i was really rewarded by the fact that like i took some big chances and then it just really paid off and now i think it's a way of working it's sort of like the modern it's the 53 year old version of being the 13 year old right it's just yeah. that, like in order for well and i will say part of this also is i'd like to think it's a good experience for everybody that does it as well because everyone's got their like i you know a lot of people i play with they have their other things right so how can i hopefully create something for them that they find is worthwhile right so is the music good do they enjoy being involved in it is it a a nice experience when they do it and then i really try to work really hard to promote it you know um and and get that music out there in different ways and i mean we see what happens you know we're seeing right now you know working on this single is coming out And that's the end of part one. That single we ended on is the song at the top of the show, Way to Me, which is now available streaming everywhere, Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, and most importantly, on a lathe cut, clear, seven-inch piece of vinyl. Nick is going to be playing tomorrow night, and if you're in the Ohio, the Dayton, Ohio area, I strongly suggest you get out there, show your support. So I'm going to leave you on a different note because we're picking this right back up in a couple days. He's still going to be Nick. I'm still going to be Peter. You're still going to be beautiful. From 3.33 a.m. studios, this has been the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. 
Good night.